So happy Good Friday to everybody. Thank you for spending this, um, this evening with us. One of our goals when we have a Good Friday service is just to give a sober evaluation of what Jesus has done. So you'll find that it's more of a somber service. We want it to feel like we're remembering the suffering that Christ went through in paying for our sins. We want that to cleanse our souls. We want to be reminded of the love of God. We want to feel the weight of that so it causes our affections for God to grow when we realize what his son suffered for us. Every song we sing tonight will be focused on the shed blood of our Savior, on him substituting and taking our place, on him suffering for the sins that we committed. We want that to feel real close so God feels real close and we feel the glory of the cross. Amen? And so those are some of the things. We're going to continue our sermon series over Palm Sunday, this Good Friday, and Easter. We're going to celebrate the life. We talked about this this past Sunday, how Jesus was sinless and what that means for our life, how his sinless life, he did what none of us could do, on our best day, he lived absolutely sinless throughout every moment of his life, and he was the perfect sacrifice. And through faith, we know that his perfect resume, his perfect record is imputed to us. Tonight, we're going to talk about the death and why Jesus had to die. I think that's important for us to think of as a church and as followers of Jesus, to know that Jesus had to die. This wasn't optional. This was very important. And Sunday, of course, we'll talk about the resurrection Um, I want to start with a story of a book I've been reading. If you get to know me, you know that I like books that have big creatures that eat people. I don't know why. It's always been like that. I like want to read Aristotle and and Plato and and seem real intelligent, right? But I like when the big great white just attacks and takes people out. I read Meg, you know, so pray for me. But I started reading a book about... The Tiger of Champawat. I'm trying to speak like I'm from Nepal there, but this tiger in the history of all the world was known as the greatest man-eater. And what a way to start out a Good Friday service, right? He killed 436 people over eight and nine-year period. The reason I share the story with you is because the people were actually a Hindu people. It was in India. And what they would do and what they believed was that to appease the spirits of the jungle, the gods of the jungle, which when they were angry, they would manifest themselves in the tiger and he would eat people. They would sacrifice goats and other animals and even offer rice to appease the so-called gods of the jungle. They believed that if they sacrificed these animals, if there was blood shed, that this tiger would not attack them anymore. Needless to say, many more people were eaten after these sacrifices. Because it's a misunderstanding, first of all, of who God is, and a misunderstanding of the sacrificial system. And, but it is what many pagan religions would practice when it comes to sacrifice. They would treat God if he's a man-eating tiger that needs to be appeased and as if he's irrational like us in our worst moments and there's darkness in him that if we only sacrifice, then the great gods will not be irritated with us anymore. But I want you to hear something totally different today. 
when it comes to the sacrifice of the Son of God. That there is no darkness at all in our God. He is actually perfectly loving and perfectly just. And I would switch and flip that coin on you and on myself. That we are the ones that at times act like wild animals and sin against each other. And that for a perfectly loving God to be consistent with his perfect justice, that what he actually did was sacrifice his own son to take the punishment in our place so that we did not have to take that punishment. And so what happens in that, the big theological word of the day is propitiation. And we're going to talk about what that is. Now, you're already ahead of the game if you can pronounce that, because in my late 20s, I preached a whole message and called it the propitiation. Like preaching on fire like propitiation. Jesus was our propitiation. A nice older gentleman after the service came up to me and said, great message, but it's propitiation. Get your life together. But I want to talk about what propitiation is, why it matters for our lives as followers of Jesus, and how we can apply that to our lives. This is very important on understanding God, knowing the depths of God's love for us. One of the things I pray that happens is that anxiety and fear of punishment from God is alleviated for many of us today. Because the gospel leaves no place for fear of punishment because all that punishment was put upon Christ. And what the gospel does is it overwhelms our anxieties. See, we don't have to be focusing. It's, it's, it's a tough thing because the more you focus on your anxieties, the more you're anxious. And so hyperintentionality on anxieties will only make you more anxious. But when we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and it overwhelms us with the love of God with what Christ has done, that actually alleviates our anxiety. And we become overwhelmed with the love of God. And I pray that that happens today, that you feel the kindness and the love of God and the peace of God. So Jesus' punishment, that he became our propitiation, should provide an everlasting peace that you will live in throughout eternity, not just in this life, but in the eternity to come. So let's, let's start here. What is propitiation? Actually, I want to, if you just read with me, turn to Romans if you have your Bibles. If not, we've got technology, you can look at the screen. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine, divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and a justifier of those, of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let me give you a simple working definition because we like to give those around here to help just get that theological library in your head. Like you can learn a new word tonight and you can use it all week and people think you know what you're talking about in your Bible. Propitiation, this is definition from John Stott. God gave himself to save us from himself. God gave himself to save us from himself. And we'll unpack that a little bit. 
In order for God to be perfectly loving, he has to be perfectly just. In order for God to be perfectly just, he has to be perfectly loving. A perfectly loving person cannot overlook evils committed. A person cannot be good if they just let sin go on without being punished, without being confronted. That's not a good person. That's a coward. Also, a person cannot be just and not be loving. God has to be consistent with his nature and with who he is. That's why when you look at the cross, it's where love and justice perfectly meet that God gave himself to save us from himself. Meaning God has wrath. God pours out his wrath on evil, and if he didn't, he wouldn't be a perfect God. He would be a God that we created in our own image, not a God that who always has existed and who is perfect love. I mean, he's the author of love. I remember when I was working through the doctrine of hell, right? We usually talk about this on Good Friday, because if you're going to talk about punishment, and the wrath of God, you need to bring up hell. And it's not brought up too much. Um, to a Christian, hell should be a doctrine that helps us understand what we are saved from, not something we should fear. Like we didn't get what we deserved. We got the grace of Jesus. And I, I was wrestling with that as a teenager. I'm like, how can God be perfectly loving and make a hell? That's not consistent with love. Well, this is because I didn't understand that God had to be perfectly just. And my mom looked at me and said, are you proclaiming yourself more compassionate than God? And that really hit me. Because in my assessment of myself, I realized my ego had placed me in a place that I really said I was more loving than the author of love. And I was saying God could not be consistent if he made a hell. But the truth is, if there was no hell and God never punished evil, there would be no such thing as a good God. Because he has to punish evil. He has to punish sin. You know, to understand this, because it gets a little odd when you start talking about goats being sacrificed, right? Some of you would pass out if we sacrificed a goat in someone's backyard. And we never would leave the church immediately if we start sacrificing goats. But in the Old Testament system, and I want you guys to see the consistency of God, they would have something called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, all the people would gather to have their sins atoned for. Meaning, God always taught his people that the wages of sin are death. He always taught that sin deserved punishment. We never served a God, a God was never worshipped, who revealed himself to the covenant people who ever said, no big deal, sin. He always said, death has to be paid for sin. And they would gather together, and there would be two goats that they would bring up in front of everybody to show them the seriousness of sin. Because one thing I would argue and, and propose, that it's very possible in our culture that we don't understand the seriousness of sin anymore. That we laugh at it. We joke about it. Everybody's doing it, but we don't realize, you know why you should hate sin? Because it destroys people. You know why you should hate sin? Because it destroys life. 
destroys families, destroys souls, separates people from God. Sin's not something to be laughed at. It's something to be atoned for by the Almighty God. And so they bring two goats to show the seriousness of it. You think this service is somber? Bring two goats up here and start slaying stuff. People just leaving like that a little too serious. The first goat would be propitiation, meaning they would be the object, it represent the object of God's wrath. And that's another way to understand propitiation. The object of God's wrath. That which is punished for the sins of the people. And that goat would be sacrificed, and all the people would watch and say, Our sins cost that goat its life because death needed to be paid for because sins were committed. Then a second goat was brought up front. This was called the scapegoat. In this goat, the high priest would lay the hands on the goat, and it would signify that the sins of the people were transferred to this goat. And someone would take the goat far away out into the wilderness, representing that your sins are taken far away, or the people's sins were being taken far away from them to be forgotten forever. That was called expiation. We're not going to focus too much on that today. But what happens on the cross is Jesus Christ becomes the propitiation, the object of God's wrath in our stead, and he expiates our sin. Don't you love when we sing, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's taken away our sins. That's what that goat represented in the sacrificial system. Get that goat out of here. We won't want to see him again. We don't want to be reminded of our sins because God made a way to atone for them. That's what propitiation is. And I want to start. That's the what. And we need to understand that to understand the nuts and bolts of the gospel to understand why Jesus had to die. It wasn't optional. God gave his son to pay for sin. He gave himself to save us from his own wrath. So if you understand or heard of the doctrine of the Trinity before, you understand that God is one in essence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three persons yet exist in one. That's consistent throughout the whole Bible. What happened is God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, poured out his wrath on the second person of the Trinity on the cross and became the propitiation for our sins and paid for our sins there. What did Jesus say from the cross? One of the things that is mysterious. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why would Jesus say that? Because at that moment, he was feeling the weight of every one of our sins on himself and felt for the first time in all of eternity separation from his Father, from God himself. From God the Father, felt separation with God the Son because he took on the sins, our sins on himself so that we did not have to pay for them. That is propitiation. The second thing, we've got to ask Why? Because oftentimes we can think that what significance does a goat being sacrificed a few thousand years ago have on my life? One of the main things is we will have a warped understanding of God if we don't understand that God is a just God. He will either be a God that dances on the clouds, is happy-go-lucky, and just everyone's committing evil, um, immorality, killing each other. He's just like, oh, my life's good. I don't have to deal with that. I'm God. Oh, he's an overbearing, irritable God 
that is just like a, that wild man-eating tiger that is willing to pounce on, just looking to pounce on anyone with the littlest thing. Those are two opposite sides of the spectrum that people usually go to. The problem is you need to perfectly marry, we need to perfectly marry God's love and justice where we understand that the triune God was perfectly loving and he made a way to punish sin by giving himself. And that's the greatness and the power of the cross. With the doctrine of hell, because we're talking about punishment, I think what we need to understand is that God didn't originally create hell for us. Okay? He didn't originally create hell for us. It was created for the heavenly beings. We believe in a spiritual world. If you believe in Christ, you believe in a God you can't see. You believe in angels you can't see. You believe in demons you can't see. You believe in an adversary who is Satan. That's what the Bible reveals. And upon the rebellion with spiritual beings, he built or created, I'm talking like a human here, he created hell for Satan to be punished in and for rebellious spiritual entities to be punished in. Because they rebelled against God, instead of worshiping God, they wanted to be God, the first sin, pride, the author of pride. Now, anyone who follows, this sounds really heavy, that's why I say it on Good Friday, Everyone who follows Satan's path, and let me say that so you get all the Hollywood movie out of your mind, red horns and all that Hollywood stuff. And let me just make it simple and biblically sound. Anyone who rebels against God and says, not your will done, my will done, will have the same path as Satan. Satan just means he rebelled against God. He said, you're not my God, I'm my own God. Not your will done, my will be done. So that's in a deep, yet important way to understand. C.S. Lewis really breaks it down like this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and to those whom God says in the end, thy will be done, meaning they chose that their own will wanted to be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without the self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek will find, and those who knock, the door will be open to. What he's trying to say there, if you reject Jesus, you reject God. It's a package deal. That's why, what did he say to the Pharisees? That it just, Jesus talking real serious. Like these were the religious leaders of the day. And the Pharisees are coming against him, they're plotting his death. And he says something that blows their mind. He says, your father is Satan. You like how Jesus just was real low-key? See, we temper him down, but he wasn't tempered like that. He just said, your father is Satan. Now, that's like gathering all the pastors in town, all the priests that are supposed to be the ones who are mediating between God and man and saying, you guys, you guys are serving the devil. And they're like, how dare you say that he, they, and he said this was the reason why he said it he said first of all because you follow his path he said secondly if you loved God the God you say you love you would see that I am his son and because you've rejected me 
You've rejected God also because we are one. That's heavy, heavy. But the reason I need to say it because it's not a good Friday for everybody. If you believe in Christ, it's a good Friday. It's a bad Friday if you reject Jesus. That's a horrible Friday. I mean, it's a good Friday for me. I've been married 16 years. I believe in Christ. That's a gift of grace. I don't boast in it. It's God's grace. But if I continue to reject Jesus all my life, I will get what I want, and I will live in eternity separated from him. My will will be done. And what happens, and I need us to feel this because it will put an evangelistic zeal in your bones. If we don't put our faith in Jesus to take the punishment for our sins, we actually pay for our sins for eternity. That's what hell is. Throughout our lives, we accrue sins that need to be punished. So God's wrath is poured out in eternity on the sins we accrued during our life because we didn't take the free pardon. Why this is so serious is because if we believe, yes, it's a good Friday, that's awesome, but there's many who don't and need us to share the gospel with them. We need to feel the realness of hell because people need to hear about the grace of God and the pardon that is offered. I just, you know, I was at a funeral a few weeks ago. And there was a man at the table, and you could tell his soul wasn't at rest. Just talking crazy. 12 o'clock, he's throwing down. Just drinking heavy. And just loud and talking across the table. And we're at a funeral, and he found out, first of all, it was tough because he's one of those guys that talk dirty. I can't stand that kind of stuff because I'm so sanctified. I'm getting self-righteous up here. Let me temper that. It bothers me. <laughs> but I say, I got to love this guy. I got to be gentle with this guy. He found out I'm a pastor. And he's talking across the table, asking me why I believe. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to turn this into a sermon right here in the middle of the funeral table, right? So I'm trying to be like, you know, and I just said a few things. And he looked at me and he said, there's been too much suffering in my life, and I'm paraphrasing, there's too much suffering in my life. I've seen family die from cancer, I've seen this and that, there's too much for me to believe. In that moment, he's playing, I reject that, he was saying. To not believe is a rejection of Christ and of God. That man died two weeks later. And you know, I was just thinking, oh, how sad it was, to be honest, I was sad. And... and Natalie said to me, how heavy is it to think that he's in hell? I said, whoa, I don't even think in those categories, and I'm a preacher. And I started thinking, how could I have been, you know, I, I offered the guy, if you want to meet any time, I've talked to you about God more. He never reached out, Natalie followed up. But I thought the heaviness, we are souls made in the image of God. This is a matter of life and death, Right? And we let, life is so quick, man. It's so quick. And we've been given the gospel for people to believe and be pardoned. It's not time to waste the moment. It's time to seize the grace of God and share it with others. And that wasn't in the sermon, but I felt like we needed to hear that. Now, how do we apply this to our life? Because 
that was a heavy evangelistic. Like sometimes you should feel like I just need to go home and call somebody. I need to set up a lunch tomorrow. Like it says don't boast in tomorrow because none of us know if we have it. James goes as far as to say if you boast in tomorrow, you're arrogant. He said, seize the day and share the gospel today. Today is the day of salvation. This is important, important stuff. This is a matter of life and death. And I, I want you and me to feel that importance. How do we apply the teaching? I'm going to make this Friday better right now for you guys who believe. All right, I'm going to give you some good news. This is the gospel and this is the good news for those who believe right now. That you don't have to be afraid anymore about hell. Maybe some of you are afraid of hell. I was petrified at hell of hell because I grew up in a church where everyone was getting saved every week. Like everyone's like, you want to recommit your life to Jesus. You want to believe in him again. And I was like, man, am I all right? I sinned at least three times this morning. <laughs> so I was constantly petrified. Like I'd go home, commit a sin, and be like, I'm out again. I'm out. I'm out. I couldn't pull it off. Hell for me. But I felt the weight of it so much. I'm telling you, I'd be like, man. And then I'd get an emotional high again. <gasps> I'm accepted. God's good. The cross is good. I'm good. Three days, I'm condemned again. You, you're saved. Me, hell. I couldn't, I couldn't earn it. Because people were teaching me I could earn it. We can't earn this. It was earned because Jesus became the object of God's wrath. And you know what? I deserve hell. Do you know what? You deserve hell. But we don't get it. Because Jesus Christ took the punishment, took our place. And that's what he really felt. And that's why our anxieties can be relieved. Because I literally say to myself, I deserve hell. Like I've literally said to myself, if I stood before God and he said, you got hell, I said, I knew it. I deserved it. But that's not the truth. The truth is God gave us what we didn't deserve. He gave us the Christ to pay for the punishment so we will be free and have eternal life with God. Don't ever feel fear hell ever again in your life because Jesus took hell so you wouldn't have to endure it. And that's the truth of the gospel that lightens the soul, that frees us from anxiety. You know, perfect love, it says in 1 John 4, 18, Perfect love casts out fear. When you feel perfect love, the perfect love of the gospel, anxieties are gone. They're gone. And I want to read that scripture to you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with what? Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with the fear of punishment when it comes to God. There's no more punishment to endure. The wrath of God is not on you if you believe in Christ because it was on Jesus on the cross. This is the power of the gospel. And my final point here, and this is very important, the teaching of propitiation allows us to hear the words from my heavenly father, I'm proud of you. 
You were made with an innate desire to hear your earthly father and your heavenly father say, I'm proud of you. And if you don't hear that, you'll be a tremendously anxious person. Whether you're fatherless because your father left, whether you're fatherless because your father didn't have the maturity or the emotional strength to tell you he's proud of you, or whether you're older and your father has passed away so you don't hear those words, I'm proud of you anymore, you were made with an innate desire to be relieved of your anxieties because your dad is saying, I'm proud of you. What God does is he puts people in the church where we should be telling each other, for fatherless, I'm proud of you. We should be stepping in and saying these things. We should be growing as dads and saying, I need to tell my kids that I'm proud of them. I need to tell them that I affirm them, that I love them, that I approve of them, I'm pleased with them. Because you start creating someone who's loved. And when you create someone who's loved, it relieves anxiety. And I heard Tim Keller say this a week or two ago. I listened to a sermon, and this was so powerful to me. Because to be honest with you, I've struggled with anxiety all my life because I was fatherless. No one ever told me that. All I ever heard was, you're doing something wrong. Or I heard without even saying that, and I'll just share a little of my heart. What I heard when your father takes off is you have no value, right? That's what you hear, even if you don't hear those words spoken. You hear, how much value could I have if the person who brought me in this world wouldn't stick around, right? And I say that just so maybe some of you can heal So I was constantly looking for affirmation, and I couldn't control it. You don't just wake up one day, <laughs> I'm self-affirmed out here. No, we need each other, and if we don't affirm and encourage each other, we die inside. So I was listening to this message, and it was so powerful, and he was talking about David. Now David, David had a horrible record, guys. He had a heart after God. But this brother made some missteps. Try murder. Now, you felt bad about some sins? I hope none of you have murdered anybody. If so, don't tell me you buried that body. I was scared. <laughs> David committed adultery. Not only committed adultery, that's where the murder came in. He wanted someone else's wife, so he had to put on the front line so he was murdered so he could get his wife. And he didn't even repent of the sin to a prophet came and said it was someone else. And he said, that guy should be killed. And Nathan said, that guy is you. But somehow, David had this confidence in his prayers. And he's praying. He'd end almost everyone. He was praying his anxieties and praying his fears. He would end and say, God, you approve of me. God, you're pleased with me. How can someone with that kind of track record be like, God, for me? This is awesome. He must have not been looking at his resume, I'll tell you that. But there's something, there's a key to understand this in the Psalms. What David would say, I look to your holy hill. What happened on the holy hill? The sacrifices. That's where atonement was made for his sin. And he said, God, I know you approve of me. I know you're proud of me. I know you're pleased with me because of the holy hill. Because you have made a way for my sins to be dealt with so you can only deal with me in love like a good father does. And the reason I share 
this with you today is because when we look at the cross, you can say to yourself, God's proud of me. He's pleased with me. He approves of me. He loves me. I'm right with him. I'm right with him because he gave his son. And what this will do to your soul, it will relieve it from the fears that plague it of trying to earn God's favor from your own merit. You say, Christ, earn my favor with God, and I'm loved by God. When you even think about Jesus, right? When he came up from being baptized, what did his heavenly father say from heaven? He said, this is my son, what? With whom I am well pleased. Even the son of God needs the affirmation of his father. Please hear that today, Restoration Road. Your heavenly father, through the cross of Christ, through making Jesus that sacrifice, that propitiation, is saying he's pleased with you, he approves of you, he loves you. You're his child. Let that alleviate all your fears. That's why it's such a good and great Friday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us here today, that we feel your love and we feel your pleasure and we feel your approval by taking our place and taking the punishment that was ours to bear. It's a somber night, but it's a glorious night where we remember that our sins are dealt with, they're paid for, and that you're a perfectly loving and a perfect just God that you gave yourself to save us from yourself, Lord, because you are perfect and we are not. For those who are struggling with anxieties and feeling so far away from you are questioning if this all is even true, Lord, would you please reveal yourself to be awesome? Put souls in awe of you. I pray that even now that burdens are lifted and anxieties are lifted and Many feel the weights that they carried for so long because of their sin that they put it on your cross. And that we look to your holy hill, Father, and we see that the sacrifice was made. It is finished. There's no more we can add to it. There's no more we can do. It's all grace by grace <laughs> through faith in the work of your son, Jesus. We proclaim that we believe. Amen.